Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. Oppress. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. Alexa, what is the baddest podcast in the land? Here's Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup, and that coffee is best two to 14 days after it's been roasted. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We're hitting you with the dopest topics. Come with our rawest opinion while giving you the straight up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. I'm Press. We're giving sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. On this episode, we are joined by King Mac from Bad Guy Radio as we pull back the curtain on reviving baseball in the inner city and much, much more. Press, what's popping, baby? Hey, man, I'm good, man. So this episode, we about to have three kings chopping it up, huh? But I ain't even uh, look at it like that. But yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know what I'm saying? You, you know how we do. <laughs> Everything good over there, man? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I'm still winning. You know how I do, man. Ain't nobody smooth like me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this guy here. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but no, everything good. But everything good, man. How about yourself, man? Hey, can't complain, bro. Got those uh plans and the permit back. So uh, probably in a couple of weeks, I'll be able to get started on this garage beer build, man. I know you can't wait either to have, you know, do our pod together up in the in the new garage with your new bottle of wine that A-Dub going to provide for you because you won the bet, I heard. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. He uh, he sent me the money for that uh, yesterday. <laughs> that, that was the best Venmo I've gotten in a very long time, <laughs> sir. <laughs> I can't wait to drink that on that show tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's gonna be nice, dude. Yeah, listen, I got, I got oh, that's that. Dope, man. I got that bottle of wine uh, for from him, and then the one when you come over uh, in the summer, man, we get the garage kicked off. So, oh, looking yeah. forward to it. Mm-hmm. I got wine mm-hmm. galore in my future. <laughs> hey, just don't drink it all at once, man. That's all I say. Don't drink it all at once, man. You know, Can't, go ahead and sip on it. 
Okay, I can't promise you, man. Depends on the day. <laughs> can't, can't promise. We'll, we'll oh, see. <laughs> okay, I got you. <laughs> I got you. Well, man, let's get into some of these mailback mm-hmm. questions, man, before we can chop it up with our boy uh, King Mac, man. So the first question that came over was from Jason. He lives over in Rogers Park here in Chicago. And he said, guys, what's been your proudest moments of being a podcaster? I think the promise moment is just being on there with my family, my brother, Prince, oh, you know, oh, being on there with you and just giving the, our thoughts and our vision and, and, and opinion and discuss about things that's going on in the world and our neighborhoods on a weekly basis. I mean, that's that's probably, you know, the, the proudest moment. I would say, Jason, for me, and I'll, I'll second what, what uh, Jules said there, I mean, because the information and the knowledge and, and the things that we're imparting upon, not only just our community, but just the world, that's something I don't take lightly. But I would say mm-hmm. we have a local nonprofit organization here in Chicago, and they've been using our podcast content with their college-bound students in their program. So when they reached out to us, it might have been about maybe a month and a half ago, and they said, hey, this is what we're doing with our program. And we started having some of their students reaching out to us and engaging with us and giving us their thoughts on some of our episodes and, and you know just some of the things that we've been putting out there. I was beyond proud. An organization found value in what we do on this show. And in this instance, they felt that it would help elevate the youth in their program. So for me, being a part of the solution is always going to be something that's going to be important to me. And that's why Jules and I do this podcast. And that's why it means so much to us. So Jason, that to me is probably the proudest moment of being a podcaster for me. Mm -hmm. Excellent question. Next question came over from Callie from Ontario, Canada. And she wants to know, what is your guilty pleasure song? Man, my guilty pleasure song, I actually have an album. It's uh, Lady Gaga's uh, Fame Monster. She got a whole, whole bunch of dope uh, tracks. My favorite one is uh, Bad Romance. So that's my guilty pleasure song there. So mine, uh, Callie, is uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. She had a song called uh, Call Me Maybe. I'm just going to be honest. Everyone tries to pretend like they hate that song, but they secretly love it. And so I happen to be one of those people. So that's, uh, that's my guilty pleasure song, Call Me Maybe. All right. We had another question that came up from a ton of people, so I just decided to squeeze this one in in lieu of our brother DMX passing away and just another situation of just Man. a person of color just having a troubled life, terrible background, just, you know, drug-infested, you know, neighborhoods that he grew up in, a life of trauma, another life that's just gone. 50 years old, gone too soon. Mike from South Carolina wanted to know what was our favorite DMX song. Come on, Mike. Man. Dang, it's so many. I'm going to go with Stop Being Greedy. Okay, that's a good one. For me, I'm going to say How's It Going Down from that It's Dark and Hell is Hot album. But, I mean, he has so many bangers. So, rest in peace, D. Rest in peace, my brother. That was a big one there, man. A big loss there. Without further ado, we got our brother, King Mac, from Bad Guy Radio, pulling up with us. What's up, Mac? How you doing, Oh, there you go. Man, bro, I'm blessed, bro. How you doing, man? Doing good. I got my brother Jules on, on the call with us, man. Jules, it's my boy Mac. Uh, okay, Mac, what's going on, baby? How you living, man? I'm living good. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm smooth, man. Thanks for asking. I like it. You got the Barry White voice going on. I see. Barry White. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mac, man, before we get into the discussion, man, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on the season so far, man, with our White Sox, man. How we looking, man? What you thinking, bro? Well, I mean, I, I think we can't complain. I mean, we've been making a ton of mistakes. Some major players, you know, been out with injury. And we uh sitting 500 right now, I believe. So really, uh, no complaints. I mean, I know uh, 
some people are upset, but I don't think you can complain when one of your top four players go down and then, you know, a week into the season, you can make an argument that your your best player went down to Tim Anderson and you still, you know, putting up runs in every game and holding your own. So no, no complaints really from me. No, I know. I hear you, man. I think from my standpoint, and I wanted to see what you thought here. So when I look at it, I said, man, the defense kind of out of the gates was a little shoddy. And I think that's something they're going to shore up. But I saw a little bit of that. Obviously, man, we saw some good things, man, with our boy, uh, Yerminator, man, starting to step up, man. I've been really pleasantly surprised to see what he's been doing. But what are some of your early, um, I guess, observations with the club? I mean, the pitching staff, I thought the rotation, they've been kind of so-so. But what are your thoughts there? My thoughts is, you know, as far as like the Yerminator goes, I mean, that was a surprise. And with uh, every team, you kind of have a a guy that, you know, surprises people, kind of like the Rays with their outfielder last year. The defense, I'm not going to say that it's going to automatically get better because they had problems last year. T.A. made some errors. Magical continues to have problems on double plays. Uh And then you got... um, and Eden looked kind of sketchy out there, which is shocking because he never was a, a bad defensive player. I just can't say the defense is automatically going to get better because we haven't seen it so far. And since I've been watching the White Sox the past three years, they've always made some major mistakes. That's a good point when you're talking about the defense because Tony, for some reason, he thinks that he's very confident that he thinks they're going to things are going to, you know, automatically turn around at some point. So I just, I'm, that's an area that I'm looking at there. Also the, the pitcher rotation, I'm kind of concerned there because those guys aren't really going deep into games and the bullpen got taxed. So, I mean, what, what were your thoughts there? When starters not going uh, more than uh, six innings or at least six innings, then your bullpen is going to be taxed because you depending on them to get four innings every game. And I mean, that's very hard to do. Most bullpen guys, If they pitch one game, then they rest in the next game. And if they go multiple innings, they definitely will be resting the next game. So it's kind of hard for a manager to cover four innings every game. Now, if you got maybe one or two games a week where you got to do that, that's fine. But if you got to cover every single game, you got to (laughs) cover four innings with your bullpen, you're going to have a major issue, man. So, I mean, you, you really can't put that on Tony LaRusso like some people are trying to do. I mean, it's it's very hard to be like, well, this guy got to pitch, you know, two innings. This guy need to go another two innings. And then now he's unavailable for tomorrow. So now what do you do? I mean, everybody in the bullpen can't go multiple innings or they're not really equipped to go multiple innings. You know, they're not stretched out like that. It's a very hard situation when your guy is not going deep into game. You brought up a good point there when it comes to Tony, because I've definitely seen a lot of backlash on social media related to him, but I feel like he's in a lose-lose situation. I mean, he did take the blame for one of those losses with the move that he made to go to the pen. So I thought that was pretty stand-up of him, but what's he going to do, right? I mean, if your starters aren't going long enough, (laughs) your options are limited, right? But Ruiz, he's been pretty impressive, man, coming out of that pen. Well, yeah, I mean, he's been one of the surprises. I mean, besides uh, Mercedes, and uh, probably Hamilton, Billy Hamilton, before he got injured. But I think really the guys that uh, we depended on last year, like uh, Foster, Marshall, you know, you need those guys to, uh, you know, kind of step up. And I think people forget when, you, when you're analyzing the team or you're analyzing these games, you have to realize, yes, Tony La Russa is a Hall of Fame manager. Yes, he has a great baseball mind. 
but he's also new to this team. And what he knows about this team is what he's seen uh, last year. You know, so if these guys was dependable last year, why wouldn't he put them in the same situations that they was de- were dependable in last year? So to me, you have to kind of the first month of the season, you got to kind of, you know, give him a break with that because he's learning the team as well. And he's learning about guys he can trust in certain situations and guys he can't trust in certain situations. Yeah, it's definitely a work in progress there. One thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on it, because Jules and I, we talked about it earlier in the season of our show here, that we were kind of on the fence about even them hiring Tony Roos in the beginning. I'm not getting into like the off the field stuff that he was involved with, but Mac, I was concerned with how is this man, 76 year old guy, is going to come in here with this young ball club that is more diverse than most teams in the league. I wondered, hey, how is he going to align with these guys? What do you think Tony's going to bring to the table that's going to get the best out of this group? Before I jump on that topic, I'll just say you're right about the diversity of the White Sox. I mean, they got, uh, I guess you could say, a lot of Afro-Latinos, and then they got one of the few black shortstops in the league, you know, besides Marcus Simeon. I'm trying to think if I could think of anybody else that's, like, you know, black and American. But uh, as far as him dealing with young talent, I never was worried because he had the swaggiest dude ever in baseball, which was Ricky Henderson, to think that he wouldn't be able to get along <laughs> with, with some of these players never made sense. And I mean, and it's just me as a fan, and I know everybody different. I don't yeah. worry about what somebody does off the field. That's your business. I don't know when as fans we started needing to know what all these guys do off the field or what they do in their personal life. I absolutely care nothing about that. I only care what you do for the White Sox <laughs> on the field in their uniform. Hey, Mac, I always say this, man. I look at myself in the mirror, and I'm an imperfect person, so I don't have that same mm-hmm. type of sentiment when it comes to other people, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and just chopping it up with brothers, I mean, since I'm chopping up with my brothers, and we always, you know, been inclusive because we know how it feels to be excluded from stuff. So mm-hmm. when I look at, like, the justice system or anything like that, I always want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt because I know we don't receive the benefit of that. No, we don't. If I'm gonna be that way about myself, I'm gonna be that way with everybody. I don't. I stay the same. Okay. I don't change. That's that's the way it is. I respect that type of thinking, my man. <laughs> so you mentioned a good point, and I want to get Jules' thoughts on this when, when I get through with this as well. He did coach that A's team. You got to think about it. Not only did you have Rick Ricky out there pimping those those home runs, <laughs> but they had the Bash brothers. So he's used to those type of personalities, but. Want to get you guys' thoughts on Tim Anderson and LaRusso. What do you guys think there as far as how that relationship is going and how do you think it's going to evolve? I think it's going to evolve fine. I mean, just watching the development of TA, mm-hmm. I think he wants to win. I mean, I've seen it in the playoffs, and I know people, you know, numbers is is the famous thing right now. Everybody just look at numbers. They don't really look at the mental aspect of the game. They don't really look at the human aspect of the game. To me. Just watching him in that playoff series against Oakland, he took it to another level. I think T.A. only cares about winning. And I think he cares about winning because he knows that ups his profile. He knows if he gets a ring, he knows if he consistently one of the best players on a good team, that his profile is raised. So if he believes Tony La Russa can get him to the quote-unquote promise line, then I don't think he'll have a problem with the roost. I don't think it'll be a problem at all. 
Yeah, I piggyback off what you said, Matt, because they both need each other. Larusso been in the game for almost a quarter of a century, <laughs> but you know, with a lot of knowledge that he's coming with, T.A. need him and vice versa to actually to boost each other and make each other uh, better, better coach and also a better player. So yeah, I piggyback off what you said, Big Mac. What is um an area of the team that makes you happy, man, when you look at this squad, brother? What everybody questioned, which was the bench, the depth, <laughs> the depth of the team. I mean, to think we would get, I know it was a small sample size. That's the, you know, great word of the day, especially on, on baseball Twitter. But I know it's a, <laughs> a small sample size, but Hamilton, he did a pretty good job before he got injured. We got good performances from Collins, who I questioned. I mean, I wasn't a big Zach Collins fan. I, I didn't uh, like that pick, but he's been he's been playing uh pretty well. Mm-hmm. We even got a good performance from uh Land. The one game he was in, he got on base, I believe, three out of the four times. So, you know, that was a good performance. And he played solid baseball at third base. And then we had a decent performances from, uh, of course, Mercedes. The one area that everybody kind of hopped on the White Sox about, hopped on Han about, Rick Han about, is, is actually been one of the strengths of, of the team. And I'll tell you one thing, you brought up Rick Hahn's name. I mean, that guy's done a phenomenal job of even putting us in this position, man. And I'm going to be honest. I wasn't a fan of Hahn because i give you two reasons. It's okay. one thing that always kind of bothered me about some of the White Sox fans. Okay, what you got? Which was they never gave Kenny Williams the just due and respect he deserved. Uh-huh. And, okay. And then when Hahn got in there, all of the failures of Hahn, they put on Kenny. This is what they did, yep. Well, he's not really running the team. Kenny is. Oh, that's a Kenny move. So <laughs> I, I never I never, I never, never liked that because, first of all, I don't know about anybody else. I'm not 100 years old. So the only World Series I've seen... <laughs> 05, baby. <laughs> ...was put together by that man. So put some respect on his name. Okay, you know? talk to him, Kenny. Mm-hmm. Talk to him. So I would say this. One counter that I had at your point, because I know you be chopping it up and you get spicy, so I want to see what you think on this. Some people will tell you that Kenny traded away the farm system. What are your thoughts to that? A lot of people, right, you know, one thing about growing up in Inglewood is, of course, you wish things were perfect (laughs) in the way they should be. Everybody wished they had the boss they always dreamed of. But one, one thing Kenny did was he understood the boss he was working for, and he used what tools he had to try to win every year. So to me, that's a sign of of, of greatness. He knew he wasn't going to be able to sign $100 million free agent. Right. He understood Mm -hmm. that. So he used his farm system to get the players that he felt he needed to win. And he did, because the one thing is, that guy definitely swung for the fences, bro. (laughs) Even if the fans, even if they weren't popular moves, like when Aaron Rowan got traded, you remember the backlash on that one. I'm going to be honest, on that move, I kind of disagree with him because I feel if a team win a championship, they earn the right to come back and try to repeat. To me, they would have been better with Frank Thomas coming back than trading Rowan for uh, Jim Tony. I think that was one of those moves where they probably just thought like, man, let's get another big bat in here. But it didn't work out the way that we thought, because when we lost a guy like Rowan on that team, you lost a little bit of his identity. So, no, I I feel you on that one. I feel you on that one. Yeah, I mean, they won you know, 90 games, I believe, in 2006. So it wasn't a bad year. If it, if baseball was like it was, I mean, if baseball back then had the two wild card spots, mm-hmm. the White Sox would have been in the playoffs. So it wasn't like the year was terrible. I'm just a big 
proponent of them guys earn that ring, so they should be able to come back and try to repeat. Yeah, you should give them the chance to be able to defend that title. I get you. Exactly, you know. You've taken this conversation to so many awesome places. So one thing that I liked about that team, Mac, was when you looked at it, no one expected anything from that team. That team came out of nowhere and it hit people in the mouth. Now, when we look at this current team, we got some expectations. People are starting to kind of say, hey, what, this team might be the favorite of the AL Central. Now, what do you think about this team now with a slight target maybe on it? Well, I mean, we all know when you talk shit, <laughs> you got to back it up. You know what I mean? So all these guys came out and said they had a killer instincts or they got a dog mentality now and this and that. So now it's your, it's your time to prove it. I mean, one of the uh, biggest shit talkers in the game, but not not baseball, but basketball was Michael Jordan. Uh-huh. But, he, but he talked it how he walked. Or he walked it how he talked it, you know? So you should want that. Mm-hmm. You, you should want to be the best at whatever you do. It's like my uh, my father used to tell me, he used to say, if you're going to be a bum, make sure you're the best bum. You know? <laughs> so that's the type of mentality they should have, you know? No, I hear you. Because I'll tell you one thing, one of those guys on that team that I ain't worried about backing it up is T.A. Because that boy, he talks it and he backs it up. Because remember when um we missed out on Machado and T.A. was like, he didn't even flinch, bro. He was like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I I respect that too because when everybody was like, "Well, Machado gonna be shortstop," or Machado wanted to play shortstop when he came here, Ta was like, "No, I'm the shortstop." Mm-hmm. And to me, shortstop is the most beautiful position on the field. It, it's 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 the best position on the field to me. I mean the the work that's required to be shortstop. It just takes a lot of work to be a good shortstop in the major leagues. So to me. I respect that. Like, no, he'll be the new guy on the squad. I'm the shortstop. This is mine. Nobody taking this. I earn. Mm-hmm. That's the type of mentality you want to have. No, I agree with that 100%. And he had it. Not only did he have a chip on his shoulder into that season, but he went back on that field and he backed it up, brother. <laughs> he backed it up. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. I mean, I think, like I said, people don't look at things from other people's perspective. Even sometimes I, I don't. And I think when you look at baseball, when you look at how baseball is now, as far as development-wise, you have these kids that are trained to become Major League Baseball players as early at the age of 10, 11 years old. These guys are taking fielding lessons from professionals. They're taking hitting lessons from professionals. This is starting at the age 10, Mm -hmm. 11 years old. So T.A. didn't play baseball seriously until I think his junior year in high school. So what the man accomplished, even getting drafted in the first round, is almost unheard of because he was a late bloomer in the game. And so, you know what, Mac? You take us to a point of this discussion that I want to get into. So all three of us grew up in the inner city. One of the things that, for me, I grew up a huge fan of the Sox, used to love going to the ballpark. And I remember as a kid having those type of moments. But I feel like, from what I'm seeing out here with kids that I speak with, Baseball is not that big of a thing for them anymore. And so what I'm starting to see is a point that you brought up with how the game has now evolved to where people are getting this private tutoring from like, you know, pro level coaches. They're doing all this travel ball. The game has evolved a little bit from when we were coming up. And for me, I wonder, what's the reason why we're seeing a little bit of this divide within the inner city kids playing baseball as opposed to them going to play in maybe a sport like basketball or football? I think, you know, 
baseball is extremely expensive, especially to play. I know growing up, I had Little League and stuff like that. But if baseball was as specialized as it is now, I know my mother, my OG, she wouldn't have been able to afford me to play the game. So with the game being as expensive as it is, and the fact that you have kids training now to be professionals so young that a young kid coming from the inner city that doesn't have the luxury to get that type of training, he's not going to be successful like those guys. And the more you successful, the more you want to do something. So to me, it all, all goes back to the cost of the game. That's one thing I think MLB could do a better job with. It's one thing the White Sox have kind of done a great job with as far as with the White Sox. Uh, ACE program that has right. allowed a lot of mm-hmm. inner city kids to play uh, travel baseball, mm-hmm. which is a big thing now. So to me, if baseball want to kind of change the the numbers as far as uh, blacks or African-Americans playing the, the sport, I think they have to find a way to make it cost effective for the inner city kids. You got to think baseball is a grind. It's not like you you don't get instant gratification for baseball because in baseball, if you get drafted out of high school, you're not going straight to the MLB, to the big show. You're going to the minor leagues. You finna be riding on buses. You finna be, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a grind. You don't get the 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 spotlight you would if you drafted, you know, to the NFL or you drafted to uh, the NBA. So right. I think baseball got to make it more more cost effective. I also think we, we as a community, you got to do a better job. I think one thing I'm big on is not looking to others to do something you can do for yourself. And I agree with that. Yep. It's a lot of things for us who love baseball that we could do to bring more youth to the game because baseball is a, is a beautiful sport. And it's one thing that like little leagues did when I was growing up, it kind of had a community feel to it because all the kids would be playing at some Chicago park district. They'd be playing baseball at on some Chicago Park District field. And like my mom said, idle mind is the devil's playground. So if we can get these kids or the youth, you know, being involved in baseball, playing the game, or even podcasting like you do, or I do, or, or Jules do, I mean, they have something positive to do. And I, and I think we can do a better job of that as a, as a community. That's a point that I really am glad you brought up because I was um, talking with a, with a partner of mine. He he attempted to start up an organization where he was doing like hidden skills and like doing instructional stuff with some of the kids in the Roseland area because he was like a former Jackie Robinson West player. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't get the funding. His program kind of like starts to fall apart from like lack of resources. That's what ended up happening to him. He was also like a baseball instructor at this place called Ropes and that closed out. And so when I was looking at that and when we did this episode, I thought, well, why is that? Why is it that, you know, people within our community don't invest in programs like that that are basically giving back to the community? That makes me wonder, like, what is that? Why is that? I think, number one, we don't highlight those programs. We don't get them out there. So, for example, if I went on somebody else's podcast, that's one of the things I should highlight. Hey, you know, it's a program, blah, blah, blah. Your listeners should donate to. It's, it's, it's a great program. It, it can help the youth out. We don't do that. I guess the thing I'm trying to say is 
we need to support each other more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons. And then the other reasons is we have to, you know, put our money where our mouths is. And I know everybody not, you know, wealthy or anything like that. But if you got an extra five dollars, hey, get that five dollars to that program. You got an extra ten dollars. Hey, get that extra ten dollars to that program. So instead of going, you know, to some of these stores and spending our money that ain't going to support the community. Mm-hmm. What we can do is give our money back to people who are trying to support the community. And right. it's just, we just got to change our mindset on that on that level. No, we really do. And that, and that, I mean, that brings up an even deeper point. And that's some of the things that we talk about on the show a lot, Mac, is a lot of what our community needs to get back to what we used to be, which where we used to pull our resources together, we used to build together, and we used to support one mm-hmm. another. Because right now what it looks like is, is that crab in the barrel mentality where, hey, if they see one person maybe getting a little bit of a step up, it's like, nah, uh get, get back down here with me. Where the way you should look at that is, if I get my ass up out of this barrel, I'm coming back and I'm pulling you up out of there and we both about to win. And I don't exactly. think that we have enough of that mm-hmm. mentality. Exactly. We got to stop looking at each other as a competition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I do a podcast. You my, you my brother, you do a podcast. I'm not in competition with you. I want to see your podcast do well because if your podcast do well, I come on your podcast, guess what? Now I get some more. Uh-huh. Listen, mm-hmm. that's, that's right. the type of mm-hmm. mentality we got to have instead of always trying to compete with each other or outdo each other. We got to have that type of mentality. And then another thing we got to do, and I hopped a little bit on this uh, on my show with uh, The Smoke Room with her, is we got to stop as far as like our athletes. They'll go do a bar stool. Yep. Mm -hmm. Talk to them, Mac. But you got your brother here who come from the inner city that you can go chop up with and automatically help elevate him because you are who you are. So you got a chance to uplift another brother out of the situation you came from. And it cost you absolutely nothing but a little bit of your time. That's it. That's mm-hmm. it. And chopping it up with somebody to get you to understand your culture that's not going to have some bullshit narrative about you at the same time, too. I never understood that. And, and Mac, I wanted to give you a big ups because Jules... The way me and Mac linked up was with uh, the the pod that me and, and A-Dub do, the Bear Essentials. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I noticed on Bear's Twitter, and, and I don't care if, if some of them are listening to this show as well, one of the things that I noticed with those individuals is they do a little bit too much for my liking at times. And everybody's always trying to be like the cool person and I'm too cool for school and maybe I'll listen to your show and, and this and that, right? One of the things about Mac, when me and him got to start chopping it up on there, this dude, out of most of the people of color in that Bears Twitter community, was retweeting every time we had a new episode. He was encouraging people to listen. And guess what? Now that he got his platform, I brought him on this show because now I want our audience that are mm-hmm. White Sox fans to now know this man's voice and what he stands for and what he represents. So for me, bro, it's all about paying it forward. He didn't know me or A-Dub from the man of the moon, but he was just trying to help us because he saw what we were doing. And I think that's the essence of what I think we need to do a better job of in this community. Because when I look at my buddy who lost that program, all it was taken was one of these maybe people that was a former ball player, maybe somebody with the Sox organization, the Cubs organization, MLB. Mm -hmm. Because I know you guys gave props to them for doing a little something, but bro, they could be doing so much more than Mm -hmm. the 30 or 40 kids that they allow to come in once or twice a year and get some coaching. Look at these baseball fields all across the city of Chicago. Those baseball fields and those dugouts aren't being fixed or or maintained. What they do, they turn them into soccer fields. 
dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on. Exactly. I yeah. mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I say, we got to have a different mentality if we're really trying to, you know, the famous quote, do it for the culture. If we're really trying to do it for the culture, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what everybody's saying. Then, okay, if you're an athlete and you got, uh, and you know, there's no factories in your community, there's no jobs in your community. Nike got these factories over there in China. Okay, if you a big athlete, Nike come to you with a contract, say, hey, nothing wrong with this, you know, giving me money. I appreciate that. But how about my shoes be made in Inglewood? Mm-hmm. How about you build a factory in Inglewood and offer some jobs in Inglewood and allow my shoes to be made in Inglewood <laughs> or whatever other inner city neighborhood that might need jobs? And it's one reason why, like, I started my podcast show was I'm seeing all these other shows. They're giving uh, internships to, you know, their people and they going to uh, their neighborhood establishments and throwing little podcast parties or whatever it is. And I'm thinking to myself, well, how come we don't have something like that where we can give a young brother an internship? Mm. How come we don't have something like that where we can't go a podcast party at one of our neighborhood establishments. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what, King? I got, I got something for you. We gonna do that. We gonna do that together because ain't nothing stopping us from doing that. Because, exactly. Because I see the same thing that you see, bro. I be seeing how they got a whole little community over there on that side. And I'm sitting over here looking on our side and I'm like, we just all over here working in silos. Yeah, and, and they support each other. Well, my brother, I could disagree with my brothers. Mm-hmm. Might be like, no, nah, I don't agree with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm not gonna get emotional about it where I put you down or I don't support you or, you know, whatever the case may be. We got to get out of that. That's one of the things that I didn't like about some of the stuff was going on on White Sox Twitter, like with the Tony La Russa thing. I wanted wanted, uh, Ron Washington to get the job. That's what I wanted to get the job. But some of the brothers were like, oh, he's a drunk. He do you, do you all this? And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But Y'all want AJ Hinch? This guy got character flaws as well. But they selective, bro. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. So some of my brothers got mad and unfollowed. Now, I, I really, honestly, I don't care about follows, but I appreciate the follows from my brothers. So I'm like, bro, you, you, you can't have a conversation. You can't have a disagreement. You got to get all emotional about it. <laughs> and, and, and my standpoint of the Tony LaRusso thing is, that man innocent until he proven guilty, just like I'm innocent until I'm proven guilty. I done been through the justice system before. I know how the justice system works. I done been lied on before. So mm. I just don't take somebody's word. I need the evidence. I need the proof or the receipts, as we like to say. For the <laughs> you spent, you right, man. Boy, you over here, you, man, you said a mouthful over here on this show mm-hmm. so far today. Because he, he's not lying, man. When I look at this situation with baseball, when we were kids, it was just about the love of the game, right? It was all just about, think about how easy it was. You you get your mom to go to the store, get your ball and bat. Man, you and your boys go to the park or you play pygmy, you know, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. we, we do what we have to do, right? But now I feel like, and this is where I'm getting to it. I want you guys both to, to touch on this. The point that Mac made earlier in the conversation about the sport being expensive. Well, you know what? When I look at a sport like baseball, it's gone from a sport that was accessible for us to be able to play to now it's like playing fucking golf with all this private instruction that there ain't nobody doing that. You think if, if my mom's or Jules' mom's back in the day, if they had to spend five to seven thousand dollars a year 
to for us to play a sport. We weren't playing that sport. They already had to pay Mm-mm. for us tuition to go to school. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. <laughs> so I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on what can we be doing to make the sport more accessible? Because we're seeing the MLB is not going to do anything about it. So what can we do? Well, uh, one of the things we can do is the athletes that, you know, have played professionally, even if they didn't make it to uh, the major leagues, if they, you know, played in the minors or whatever, they can come back and give back to the community and give these kids lessons, you know, for free. Mm-hmm. Okay. We don't have to, because everybody else want to make money off travel ball. We don't have to make money off travel ball. We could just be doing it because we want to see young black kids who love baseball get the best opportunity to make it like everybody else. It don't have, everything don't have to have, uh, it be something in it for you. Mm-hmm. Don't have to, it don't have to be that way. You can mm-hmm. just invest your time into, you know, somebody that, that, is growing up the same way you grew up. You can just invest your time in that in that kid. And then, too, since everybody is yelling out Black Lives Matter, that's a famous hashtag now. BLM, mm-hmm. you know, uh, since you yelling out that, okay, put your money where your mouth is. Ooh-wee, ooh-wee. Mm-hmm. He talking. Because, yeah, don't let that just be a slogan. Yeah, don't, don't Walk just, Walk don't, just uh, don't just hashtag that when somebody getting choked out by a police officer or something. Because then, you know, it's popular then. You know, people love to do mm-hmm. stuff when it's popular. It's, oh, it's it, popular it, then. It's, it's catchy. No, I get it, you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so how about when we ain't getting choked out, mm-hmm. make it matter, and go put your money where your mouth is? When you look at this league, fellas, 40% of the league is made up of people of color but only like probably less than 10% of those are people of, of you know, African-American race. And when we were growing up, well, I, I speak for myself when I was growing up, you know, cause I was born in 79. Mm. We, I felt like at that point in time, when you grew up in the nineties, I just felt like there were way more black ball players than there are now. I look at that as a couple of things, access, like what Mac brought up earlier. I also wonder are black athletes or black ball players, are they scouted differently than players that are white? I don't know because when we were coming up, there were a ton of kids that were like went to Carmel and like a lot of different public schools here in Chicago that were really good at baseball, but they played other sports. So when it came to baseball, Mac, what they would say about him is, oh, that person's a good uh, athlete. They got raw power. But then I'm like, yeah. well, why are you saying it like that? That's coded language. How come they can't have high baseball IQ like other players? And I feel like the scouting reports sometimes are a little bit unfair to our athletes as well. So that's something that I see, too, that I want to get you guys' thoughts on. Yeah, man. They do. I mean, coded language is a thing. I mean, they, with baseball, you know, I just tell a quick story real quick. Everybody loves Jackie Robson, right? And Jackie Robson is a hero. So I don't want people to take this wrong. This is just a perspective from my family member, my great grandfather. He didn't like Jackie Robson going to the MLB. And his reasoning was blacks had their own league. Yep, the Negro League, yep. And because of that league, Blacks used to have to go spend a night in maybe black hotels or people who turned their houses into hotels when they went into a different city. They spent money at black restaurants. So his thing was he didn't think that MLB did it because they wanted to be nice or they wanted to be inclusive. He felt they did it because they seen the money, Mm. how much money the Negro League was raking in and the excitement and they knew that they could get that dollar. 
sometimes you have to ask yourself, like, how great is something? Is it going to help the community or is it going to hinder the community? Because you got to think in the Negro Leagues, the Negro Leagues was inclusive. It had, I guess you could consider them your Afro-Latinos or whatever. It had Cuban players. It had, uh, I think it was Mexican players. It was inclusive. It was 95% of black players to now 8%, maybe playing baseball or 10%, whatever the number you threw out there. So that's just something for people to think about. And we got to start thinking like from an ownership mentality. Well, so you bring up a point that I don't think a lot of us talk about, but while Jackie Robinson's accomplishments were, you know, very big for getting us in the MLB, Mac brings up a point, Jules, that I think is very important to think about. We had our own league. That was a league right there that you never know where that league would have went because what ended up happening? When Jackie Robinson, you know, defected, went over to MLB, you know, then here comes Josh, you know, all the major players back in the day, you know, Satchel Page and whoever else, right? All that talent left out of that league. By the time they went over to the MLB, you weren't even getting the best version of that player in most cases because they spent the majority of their career toiling in in, in amenity. Right. Mm -hmm. And then what happened to the Negro League? It was gone. So that was it. Malcolm X said it best. He said the worst thing happened to black people was uh, integration. When you start integrating everything, then you had the black business owners was leaving, black ball players was leaving their sports. So now it went, okay, we're accepted now. We can move it. We can, then we left our people behind. So we see kind of same, same effects to it today. So what the question is, what, what can we do to bring baseball back to the inner city? We got to make it exciting again. We was coming up in the era where we had the Andre Dawson's and your, your, your Harold Baines and, and, and other players, other black players, you can kind of identify yourself as when you go into the park and kind of playing ball with your buddies and stuff like that. Like, man, I'm the big hurt today or I'm Albert Bell or, you know, right. say I'm, I'm, I'm the Hulk. So I'm we got it. We got it. We got a uh, Ricky Henderson. Yes, sir. Anybody yeah. other than Sammy Sosa. But yeah, keep <laughs> <on>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, let's not forget the wizard. He out there playing oh, shortstop, flipping, you know. Man, come on, man. Your boy Ozzy. Woo, man, yes, sir. I, man, you know, so we can we can see ourselves in these athletes. But now, like you said, 8% is only African-American that's playing. We don't identify ourselves with it. Now it's basketball. A lot of inner city youth playing basketball now, boys and girls. Mm-hmm. So we got to bring baseball back to, to kind of, to say, man, this is a beautiful old sport. Like you said, Mac, this is a beautiful sport. And let's be honest, man, you get in baseball, you can play baseball for years. Oh, you yeah. don't have to be the biggest. You don't have to be the best or the fastest. Man, you can get in there and, and you can just play for years and just really love, you know, say, love the sport and play the sport and and for years to come, man. I mean, I was talking to a buddy of mine, not to be long winded. I was talking to a buddy of mine. He used to be a player, a little league player. Then also he uh, coaches now. I asked him about this question because I told him, I, you know, I'm getting on the pile. We talking about baseball in the city. And I know you used to, uh, used to uh, ball. And he would tell me, he said, baseball, when he was coming up, all your park districts had at least three different leagues, depending on age limits. It was stacked full of black boys just want to play baseball, just love the game. He mm-hmm. said, nowadays, his son play, but he said, some days he go to a game. He go to a game in the suburb to play you know, your white team, and they're loaded. And he said he's standing there with six people. Shit. He's lucky so, to get six. Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, and he said, and then, and then other ki- kids are coming in late and stuff like that. He said, man, we got to get to him. He said, we got to get baseball popping again. And the only way of doing that, we got, he said, they used to go door to door, passing out flyers. Hey, we're having a bake sale to support our little league. 
So that's how they was raising money back then to fund their leagues. And, and, and promotion, big promotion was, was the key, he was telling me. Yeah, no, that's a good point because that's that backs up kind of what Mac was saying earlier when I brought up about my buddy's program getting like kind of defunded. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that comes with like that support, maybe going door to door. But I think a bigger piece of the puzzle or the equation here, I'm just going to come back to it again, access. So you brought up basketball and how that's being more, you know, a sport that boys and girls are picking up. Mm-hmm. But how easy is it to buy a basketball and go to find a, a, a oh, court somewhere to play? Right? Simple. simple. Uh huh. <laughs> Hell, oh. hey, you can do you can do what we we did. We used to put a hoop in the in the alley, the crate. Oh, yeah, <laughs> a little crate. We used to put a little crate in the alley. <laughs> but see, there's another thing about baseball is the games we used to play back then. You didn't need now. You could go play strikeout with your buddies. That's right. Uh huh. All you needed was a uh, you know, and I'm not a. Uh, Encouraging people to do this, and I don't want to get them locked yeah. up. But you just needed a spray can, and you could spray you a, a strike uh-huh. strike zone. Yeah, yes, sir. Uh-huh. You know, we used we used to do stuff like that, or we used to play running bases. You know, yep. so I mean, it's a whole bunch of things you can do that you don't need a, a lot of people to do. That the thing is, those games was handed down to me from like my uncles and stuff. Going to watch my uncles play uh-huh. strike out, or yep. watching them play running bases, or Watching my uncle like, hey, you don't need nobody to hit you no ground balls. You can go throw the ball off the wall and yep. build ground mm-hmm. balls yourself. So yep. it, a lot of that come from, from us not handing down the stuff we learn. It's like my father say, oh, man, y'all getting soft as parents. You know, he said, ooh, you know ooh. that's one of the things he say. And I think that's one <laughs> of the things we done as a community is we got softer where instead of just handing down time, true honored values, we started replacing it with money because you know what? When I was growing up, I didn't have a Jordan. So I'm gonna make sure my son get all the Jordans, you know? <laughs> and and that's the type of stuff, you know, we did. We we replaced the time and the love with the money and we got to get back to the mm-hmm. uh, giving them the time mm-hmm. and the love, you know what I mean? So Mac, I think, you know... It, Mac, it's, you cooking, brother. Yeah, you cooking. Mac. You cooking. It's, it's, it's one thing to me that... uh. I think we need to stop doing that as a community too, is we need to stop trying to be accepted. We always want people to accept us and include us. Mm-hmm. We have to realize that, hey, we good enough as we is. Like Lauren Hill said in her song, all we need is each other. You know, now, if you're down with the program, you, we love everybody. <laughs> but we have to love ourselves First, I definitely agree with you wholeheartedly. And Jules and I, that's why we do these type of episodes, because we got to bring that love back. Because I think one of the things that really hits home with me, Mac, I do mentoring within the city. And you look at a lot of these kids and you could just look somebody in their eye and you know, they don't believe in themselves. They don't have any confidence. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is the things that you're talking about, you got a community of kids that are coming up that haven't had anybody imparting that knowledge on them, haven't been passing that stuff down to them, right? So they grow up. And how are they growing up out here? The streets are raising them. First of all, everybody want money. Mm-hmm. Just being mm-hmm. honest. My mother used to say, a Christian will walk past a homeless person, say, I'm going to pray for you. Prayers is good, but I'm hungry. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> let's, let, let, let's solve that problem first. Feed right. me. Uh-huh. Then pray for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we got to get out of... Uh, where we think we can't get our hands dirty or we too good for the hood now, or whatever the case may be. We got to get out of that mentality and, and, and go back and say, and not be scared of our brothers and sisters 
because uh, we we feel, oh, we might get robbed or something crazy <laughs> nonsense like that. And we got to stop being scared of each other. It's like, hey, bro, what's going on? How you doing? You know, it's like what uh, I remember Jay-Z said one time. You know how when we was growing up, if somebody stared at you, we call it mean mug. We'd be like, what, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. What's yep. his problem? Yep. But we got to realize he might be looking at you that way because he got something going on. He got a problem with himself. It ain't really got nothing to do with you. But yeah. we're going to elevate the, the issue because we feel a certain way. You shouldn't be looking at me like that. Instead of asking the brother, like, hey, what's going on? You good? What, what's wrong? You know what I mean? You need to talk. You know, we got to mm-hmm. get back to that type of stuff where, where we, like I say, we love each other and we don't look at each other as a threat where we look at each other like, hey, that's my brother. You know what? That's my sister. Mm-hmm. Hey, look at that little, that little young brother out there. He throwing the baseball off the wall himself. Hey, I got some time, little brother. I got a mm-hmm. bat in the back of my car. Let me hit you a couple of ground balls. You know what I mean? We got to mm-hmm. get back to that type of uh, community, you know, where that's how we, you know, approach things. And I think that's incredibly important because as we're kind of unpacking a lot in this episode, I think some of the questions that I had, you've been unearthing them just by just organically just having this discussion with us. Because I think at the forefront of it, yeah, we do need some investment in these communities when it comes to these things. But I also think that it's incredibly important for us to pour into ourselves as well. Right. And I think that's going to be some of the things that we'll be able to do to help push the needle with these ideas that we're talking about on this show, because these kids that are out here, it's up to us to be able to point uh-huh. them in these directions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we've been taught, we'll see a young brother. Uh, I'm not saying all of us do this. Mm-hmm. But we'll see a young brother, he may be loud, boisterous. And we'll <laughs> say, man, that young brother. <laughs> now, 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 I'm out here in AZ. I see a loud, a lot of loud, young, boisterous youth, and it ain't us. And they ain't out there calling each other ignorant. But you know why we do that? Because we feel like we always got to prove something Mm. to somebody else. Mm. We feel like we always got to be accepted or show, you know what? We can uh, be like you guys. We can do this. We can fit in. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Yeah, right. Because you because you're right, because there's too much of that in this in this race. Because that's one thing Jules can tell you about me, brother. I ain't worried about fitting in no motherfucking where I go. I'm gonna be me regardless of where I am, who's in the room. Cause we just talked about it in our pre-show chat here. I talked about the fact of how unconscious bias in the workplace, especially for me. I work for Verizon mm-hmm. and I see so much bullshit to go on, but I speak out on it. And yeah. see, the thing is, don't they don't like that. <laughs> so they don't, they don't like that. No, of course not. <laughs> Cause but one thing I'll tell you this, I don't care because I'm even if it doesn't work out so well for me, there's going to be somebody behind me that's going to benefit from me speaking up. And so that's what I'm taking from the conversation where happened today is more people have to take that onus on themselves and say, hey, you know what? These conditions, man, it wasn't like that for me when I was coming up. Man, I, I need to reach back and, 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 and impart some of this knowledge on these cats and make things better for the people that are coming behind me. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you one thing, when we was coming up, Mac, I'm just going to speak for myself here, man. But all I did as a kid, man, is I played sports. I went to school and I worried about some females. I ain't really had too many words. That's a true story. <laughs> that's that, was, that was mostly, that's why when, when people be like, you from Inglewood? Oh, it was hard. It was terrible. I'm like, man, I, what are y'all talking about? I mean, the hood was good. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, but uh, like I say, we got to get out of this mentality of trying to fit in where we got to use our interview voice all the time. <laughs> 
We when we get around somebody, we gotta, you know, you know how you talk to your brothers. Then you yep. go to a job uh-huh. interview, you gotta use the interview voice. We the uh-huh. we the only people who are asked not to be ourselves. Ooh, ooh, can you say that again, please? We are the only people asked not to be ourselves, mm. and mm. I'm done with that, bro. I don't I I don't live that uh type of life no more. <laughs> you know, like I always say. I am what I am and what I ain't, I'll never be. And that's the way it is, man. You know, you, you we, we got to get out of that. You know, I, I remember like what you were saying about your job. I used to do some work for the union on the railroad. Now, every day, this dude used to come to work two hours late. Every day. It was a good old boys club. This guy oh, come to work two hours late. The superintendent never said nothing. I watched this for a week. Mm-hmm. The guy come in two hours late. So you know what I said? I said, I'm coming in two hours late. I come in two hours late. I come in two hours late. The phone rings in the locker room. It's the superintendent. He say, hey, uh, come upstairs. I need to talk to you. Oh, shit. So I go in the superintendent. I close the door behind him because I already know what this is about. I did mm-hmm. this for a reason. I wanted this to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I was waiting mm-hmm. for this to happen. You wanted so to smoke. The, I closed the door behind him. I said, yeah, what's the problem? He said, why are you two hours late? I say, well, the same reason the other guy two hours late. That's why I'm two hours late. If he can be two hours late, I can be two hours late. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? I say, matter of fact, I got a question. Like, what is the difference between him coming in two hours late and me coming in two hours uh, late? I say, do you see a difference between me and him? He say, uh, you know what? Go downstairs. You can. I got nothing else to say to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said, thank you for coming in. That's right. Thanks. For- uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, see, he don't he because he didn't want that. So the story that I told Mac, and I don't want to even put all my my achievements on the window, but let's just say I got some skins on the wall. I'm good. Mm-hmm. But there's mm-hmm. a cat that's in the same group as me in my role, no college degree, <laughs> and when he speaks, he ain't worried about spelling like Brian Gumble. Like you could tell that this guy doesn't have this pedigree. Why mm-hmm. is he in my same universe? Because if I were him, I wouldn't even be here. And that's some of the stuff that bothers me as well when we talk about some of this stuff, because it's got to be fucking fair. If he can get that type of job, then I want to see some other people that you sit here and you put these rules up and say, got to have a college degree. But why yeah. is that rule? Well, why is that rule in place? Exactly. I remember I, I just did something on Twitter. I asked the question. I didn't get a response. So I ain't going to say the brother's name, but it was uh, Charles Barkley had said something about politicians. I forget to the extent of what he said. But anyway, the brother said, oh, he made a, a, a good comment, but he really couldn't express himself because he was unlearned. What is unlearned? Hmm. Who decides who is unlearned or not? Because he doesn't speak a certain way that's unlearned. So mm. we bind into a language that really our people never spoke until they got over. Or if they mm-hmm. was already over here, they never spoke that language. In. Mm-hmm. But we're considered unlearned because supposedly we don't speak it as perfectly as it should be spoken. And they don't speak it perfect themselves. No, True. at all. Mm-hmm. You're right. So who, who decide that? I know brothers that's very knowledgeable, smart, but they talk how I talk. And what that mean? <laughs> they, were, they, they were out with you under the table. So, Mac, this is one thing that me and Jules always talk about. The loudest person sometimes in the room is the dumbest person in that damn room. And I'm surrounded by that in my corporate workplace. <laughs> that's Ooh, all I'm saying. Damn, man. I'm sorry for you, brother. 
Hey, Jules, don't be sorry for me, man, because I'm making changes happen around there. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> man. I, I mean, I seen it. I seen it with my mother. I seen it with my mother when she was at uh, Chase. You know, oh, she yeah. Would be, she would be training people to be managers. Why she okay. can't be the manager? Ooh. If she can train this person to be mm. the manager, why she can't be the supervisor? Right, right. Why she wow. giving her knowledge to the person that basically is now going to be over her? Yeah, mm-hmm. she's training somebody that's gonna have authority over her. Just think about that. But she's equipped with the knowledge. But exact, and she got what you say the pedigree. She got that's the degrees, right. paid her own way through college, all that. Mm-hmm. But yet she got to train somebody who don't know the job to be her supervisor. And that's one reason why I never myself wanted to get involved with corporate America because I used to see how upset they used to make my mom that she got a. The same position she filled out for, didn't get. Mm-hmm. She got to train somebody else to do that position to have wow. authority over her. Very disrespectful. Yeah, slap and, in the face. Man. It's yeah, a slap in the face, man. Yeah, she be she was being marginalized. Wow. Exactly. Hey, King, what's your mom? Did your mom leave, or did she? She stuck around that job. My mom left because my mom is outspoken because she can't. Uh, she can't handle what she feel is her being treated wrong. She's not mm-hmm. going to step for. I respect mm-hmm. that. They're good. I respect, I respect that. Good. You know, she mm-hmm. she outspoken. So in corporate America, you know how they do when you outspoken and they want to get rid of you, they're gonna find a way to get rid of you. They're gonna make sure you go. They even pay you to leave. They say they will. They will. They go they to this money. Talk mm-hmm. to you later. <laughs> well, we ain't gonna talk to you later, but bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but so one thing that I when I think about that is I don't think it was that your mom was outspoken. I think that she knew her worth. And we talk about that all the time, bro. Because it is, I, I get what you're saying with that. Yeah, she wasn't going to let them do her disrespect or any kind of way, but she knew the value that she brought. And she knew that she wasn't basically being looked at in the way that she should have been looked at in that role. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one reason why, man, I, I grew up respecting Black Queens is one, they raised me. Mm-hmm. So I got to respect, you know, the women who raised me, you know, which was Black Queens. And Number two, I seen the struggle that she went through. Even though she had paid her way to college, did everything she was supposed to do, I seen how she was constantly uh, looked over. And mm-hmm. I seen how, you know, they would bring a friend in to put in a position and all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. So I understood the struggle. I guess that's the best way to put it. And I think, you know, with my mom, she's just a person that's not, she don't like injustice. She don't like things to be, different from her for her than it is somebody else. She she can't, honestly, she can't live with that. And she gonna, she gonna, say, something. Oh, she gonna say something about it. She gonna let you know. And she don't, in her mind, she knows she can go somewhere else and get a job. So she not finna just be treated any kind of way. That's just mm-hmm. how she is, you know, and that's the way my grandmother raised her. And that's the way they raised me. I'm not finna, you're not finna just run over me. Right. Well, yeah. it's being, that was that was passed down. And that's what you brought up earlier. We're not doing that with this next generation. Because I'll tell you one thing. My grandmother, and Jules knows it, she didn't take any shit, bro. This woman was self-made, came from the South, migrated here with nothing. Where she, mm-hmm. By the time she passed, she had homes, money in the bank. She was good. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is, is that I saw that at first level and I said, damn, she did all that with not having opportunities and resources. What the hell am I going to do with my life there? Because yeah. here I am. I'm set up. You say you saying uh, her strength, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you uh, 
respect it, you know, her strength. It's the same thing, like, with, with me as far as, like, that's why my grandfather, my great-grandfather always talked ownership because guess what? He moved in Inglewood when Blacks wasn't even allowed in Inglewood. Mm. Before the Dan Ryan was even there, he had moved in Inglewood. He had bought three buildings on one block. So he was always big on ownership and doing it ourselves. And he and, and he wasn't one of those guys, one of those, uh, one of the, one of us, one of those blacks that when another black person moving up, oh, we're getting scared for another black person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he wasn't, he wasn't, hey. he wasn't one of those type of guys. You know, he loved his they go to, they go to the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just being honest, bro. You know, you know how it be, man. Yeah. Just, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Hey King, I can totally uh relate, man, to what your mother did because my mom did the same thing. Also born in Ranzi Inkwood myself, man. My mom, she used to work for a uh, a loan agency. She'd been, man, working for years in this agency and get awards and stuff, but collecting the most money. So she was she was a pimp. She was a pimp getting that money for these people. But she found out that she was training somebody else for her position. And when that happened, man, she didn't even she didn't even look twice. She did not look twice and she just left. She left. And I saw that character in there and it taught me like, oh, no, no. Like, like Perez said, know your worth. Know your worth. Phenomenal what she did, man. So, yeah, I can definitely relate to you brothers with that there. Like I say, I hope, you know, what come out of all this and it's something that I'm trying to do is, especially with my podcast network and with everybody else's, I'm trying to say, hey, hey, brothers, we all out here putting, putting out content. We need to come together support each other. And I'm hoping, you know, the, the athletes do the same thing. I'm hoping one day T.A. hear this and say, you know what? I got an opportunity to jump on a prayer show. I got an mm-hmm. opportunity to jump on the Bad Guy Radio. I got an opportunity to jump on the uh, Barbara Chair Network or whatever. That's you know, right. just, just everybody who, uh, all us who out here putting out content, you know what? You you don't got to go. I mean, it's, you can go talk to Barstool. That's fine. Nothing against them. You can, Talk to, you know, White Sox, talk all that. But you can come talk to your brothers, too. Right. Yeah. Pull, pull up with us, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Cause, exactly. Cause you, we you ain't going to actually no nonsense. No, we ain't going to be with the foolery. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. <laughs> that corny shit. No, we ain't yeah. going to do that. We got yeah. you. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that that's what I'm trying to do, man. I, I, like, like somebody was saying, hey, uh, uh, you doing a good job. Hopefully you can overtake. I ain't gonna say the podcast network name, but hopefully you can over. I'm not trying to overtake nobody, bro. Mm-mm. All I'm trying to do is just put out good content, work with people, connect with people. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make a way. You know what? I can have me some interns from Inglewood bring them in and they can learn mm-hmm. business. And hopefully I can find a, a, a um an establishment, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood, they'll support us and we can support them throwing podcast parties or something in their establishment, you know? So right, that, that's what I'm looking for. One more thing that I got for you before you get out of here, and I want you to also plug uh, your, your venture at the end here. But Matt, when you think back, because I know you're a big baseball fan, when you were coming up, what was like your favorite baseball moment for you? And Jules, I want you to hit that when he's done. Uh, you know, my favorite baseball moment really was the first time I was able to go to a White Sox game and okay. see Big Hurt up close in person. 
that was my favorite baseball moment because I got to see somebody as a White Sox fan, you know, watching them on the TV and listening to them on the radio sometimes. I got to see, you know, one of my idols on my favorite team. I know, you know, I hate to say idols, but one of my idols <laughs> on, a favorite, <laughs> on my favorite team up close and personal for the first time. So it was, it was uh, that was the, the best moment to me. And to see that this guy's just as big as he is on TV, like, man, wow. You know what I mean? Like, look, look, look at this, you know? To me, that was my favorite moment when it comes to baseball. But other than that, it ha- I have to go to just the whole 05 season mm-hmm. as far as just baseball moments because, you know, when you come up in the hood, you had that chip on your shoulder. And that's one one reason why I love being a South Sider, why I love being a White Sox fan. You know, when you was growing mm-hmm. up as a White Sox fan, you know, they was close to the uh, to the Stateway buildings and all uh-huh. that, you know? Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So, you know, you used to hear certain things from other people talk about how, you know, unsafe it was, you know, mm-hmm. other code language and all of that to go to the games. So I always love that chip on the shoulder, man, that the White Sides had as far as being not the favorite, being the second, you know, so-called best team in the city. Because that's how I felt growing up in Inglewood. Like, man, people don't, you know, that they don't have no respect for us. They don't really know what's going on down here. So I, I... I take pride in being a South Side. I take pride in being a White Sox fan, you know. Oh, man, I love that. What you got, Jules? Man, you know, my my memory as a kid, it was actually the backyard, my parents' backyard, coming up, playing ball with my father. Me and my brothers and some of the kids we was we grew up with, we used to play baseball in the backyard. My father, he came out, one day he came out, he came out there in the backyard and he pitched. And he pitched to all of us and we were just hitting it. We just rocking them and just rocking them, hitting it over the fence and stuff. And, and, and you know, act like we hitting home runs and stuff, man, we had fun. And, and for him to see, to see him smiling and we all smile like we did something. And, it, you know, that, that was a good, a great memory of mine of coming up as a kid, man, just playing with my, my brothers and friends and my father and stuff. And which with that, now I take my, my nephew to the uh, Sox games every year. Cause we get we get tickets through through my job and stuff, so I always take them every year to to pass down that tradition. Hey man, that's important. I love that man because one of the things we talked about earlier is just the love of the game, and that's the stuff that you do as a kid, right? Going out there in the backyard, going to the park, man, just playing, running bases, whatever it may be. So I love that. For me, I think my favorite moment is it's kind of what Mac mentioned. So when we were younger, I don't know if you guys remember this, but the White Sox used to have this promotion. If you collect the UPC codes, you could get free tickets to go to the game. So I used to take the fact that I used to love candy as a kid, and I used to buy my milk duds and all this other shit, but then I would be saving those UPC codes. Man, that's the only way I got to go to games. So the first game that I went to, I was 11, and the Sox mm. played the Royals. And Big Hurt hit like a two-run homer, like an extra innings, and they won the game. And, dude, I'm telling you, I was in love ever since <laughs> with, with baseball, uh, with the Sox, you know, I mean, I always grew up as a Sox fan, but that moment there, it just kind of like etched in my skull, in my soul. I never will forget that moment. But, and I don't think they do that anymore. And I think that that's also something that I think would encourage more people from the inner city, man, giving them access to these games and be able to go to the game. Because my mom didn't have no money for me to be going to these ball games. And you talk when you think about the food and the, and the cost of drinks and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. in games, psh, 
man, please. So, <laughs> you know, collecting them UPC codes was huge for me because that was the only way I got to go to those games. <laughs> That's dope. <Yeah. laughs> well, man, Mac, we appreciate you, man, for pulling up with us today, man. Before you get out of here, talk to the audience a little bit more about, uh, you know, where you guys are, how people can connect with you. And, man, just appreciate what you guys are doing over there. Well, you can follow uh, us on Twitter at, at the Bad Guy Radio. You can follow us at the Bad Guy Radio on Anchor as well. And on Spotify, it's the Bad Guy Radio also. And then we basically have uh, five shows on that so far. We got The Smoke Room, which is featuring me, King Mac. And you can follow me on Twitter at KingMac1129. And then we got uh, Black and White on there. We got The Soul of the South Side with another brother at Green Eye Soup. He's pretty funny, hilarious. He's a young brother. So go support him. And then we got Beers with the Guys. And we have... Uh, Sox fans with attitudes. So that's what that's what we got on the uh, the Bad Guy Radio, and we have a blog as well. And it's also the Bad Guy Radio. Audience, we appreciated this discussion today. Definitely check those guys out. Uh, Mac, we're going to be plugging this on our uh, Instagram just uh, to give you guys a little bit more of a boost there, and we'll definitely uh, let you know when this episode goes live, man. But we appreciate you for coming on today, man. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate you for allowing me into your house. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I took my shoes off at the door. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, yeah, he did. He, he did jump on the couch like Rick James. We appreciate oh, that. I, 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 didn't, I didn't jump on the couch, you know, and uh, but I appreciate you know you allowing me to come chop it up with you. And uh, I apologize for my dog out of control. <laughs> nah, you good. Man, but, uh, it, it, it happens, brother. I appreciate it, bros, man. And uh, like I said, I will continue to support everything you got got going on. And, uh, you know, you'll definitely be in, in my house sometime soon. So uh, man, thank you. Just let us know, brother. We there. Oh, man, dude. Another oh, wow. week. Another guest that just came on here and just dropped bombs. Wow. Dude, I was sitting back here just listen to every great thing that was coming out this brother's brother's mouth and his his knowledge and stuff i'm just at all man it it great great episode man man king is great guest to have on man great guest i really enjoyed enjoyed listening to him yeah like i told you guys at the top of this thing you're gonna have three kings on here chopping it up and that's exactly what you guys got today and i hope you guys appreciated this episode it was fun putting it together for you guys without further ado we are out Jules, going to hit him with that curtain call, bruh. This curtain call goes out to Rob Manfred, Mr. of MLB. Manfred decided to pull the 2021 All-Star game from Georgia in response to the state voting law. His move marked the first major event to be pulled from the state coming days after Delta and Coca-Cola expressed opposition to the law. Manfred came to this decision after discussing the matter with teams, the players' union, current and former players, and decided that the best way to demonstrate their values as a sport was to relocate the event. With their move, it shows that Major League Baseball support voting rights for all Americans and opposes restriction to the ballot box and that fair access to the voting has Major League Baseball unwavering support. Commissioner, we appreciate knowledge and thank you for your decision. Thank you. Thanks for that curtain call. As always, you can find this podcast on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Deezer, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate your continued support of this show. Without you, we wouldn't be. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace.